Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of conversations about law practice. Each week, we talk with legal entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. And now, here are your hosts. Hi, I'm Sam Glover. And I'm Aaron Street, and this is episode 244 of the Lawyerist Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking with Adriana Linares about advanced tech savviness. Today's broadcast is brought to you by Podium, SaneBox, Alert Communications, and Ross Intelligence. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support. Stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. Sometimes I love when we write our descriptions and summaries of advanced tech savviness, which I assume is just <laughs> to imply that it isn't basic tech competence. No, it's how to be a tech-savvy lawyer beyond the last time we had Adriana on two years ago. But this isn't like how to code. No, absolutely not. It's not, not. advanced. Uh, Intermediate tech advanced something something. for lawyers, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I'm excited. We've got a few announcements today. Sam and I, as this podcast come out, are in Washington, D.C. with Stephanie for a book launch party hosted by Fastcase. And we're really excited that we just got to spend some time with some of our D.C. area friends and insiders. We will be excited. Yes, that we, we will, will be excited. Just, of, yes. yeah. On to the announcements. We just this week hired a new community manager. Yay, to, welcome, Jennifer. To be our touch point with insiders. And since most of you either are or should be lawyerist insiders, hopefully you will have a chance to greet Jennifer into her new role this week. We just released a slightly tweaked and updated scorecard version, scorecard 2.0. The actual scorecard itself is easier to use. It's all on one page. If you're doing it on a phone, it doesn't stretch things out quite so awkwardly. So that's nice. We've also tweaked the questions and moved them around based based on what we've learned so far. So if you're taking it for your quarterly update, you might notice a few different tweaks. No worries, don't be afraid. It was updated in order to align with the book. And biggest announcement last. Yeah. Uh, last year, we launched an Affinity Benefits Partner Program for paying members of the lawyerist community. So we partnered with a variety of our favorite law practice products and vendors to get exclusive discounts for people in our community. We're really excited that this week we are opening that program up to everyone in the Lawyerist Insider community. So now you don't even have to pay us money to get those significant discounts on the products you need to grow your practice. Yeah, so here's what you do. Go to any of our product pages. You can just click on the reviews on the top of our site. And when you're looking at those lists of products, look for the little badge that says Affinity Partner. And if you use one of those products or you're interested in using one, visit the page, click to claim your benefits and save money. That's all there is to it. If you're an insider and you're logged into the site, you'll see that and you'll be able to do that and you'll be able to save money on hopefully the products that you already want to use or that you're interested in using. So check that out. Now we've got a brief sponsored conversation with Joseph Jenkins from Podium and then my conversation with Adriana Linares. Hi, it's Joseph Jenkins at Podium. Podium exists to modernize the way law firms bring in new clients. We're financially backed by Google, work with nearly 500 law firms and about 40,000 other businesses in the U.S., Canada, and Australia. Very cool. Thanks for coming back to the podcast, Joe. So you wanted to talk about reviews, and I know reviews are a hot-button topic from my conversation with lawyers, but for those who aren't thinking about them, why do online reviews matter? Yeah, it's funny. We've seen a couple different trends recently, one of which is most things that are reviewed out there, things that merit reviews most frequently are typically products 
restaurants, hotels, or experiential type businesses. And law firms are the last thing mm -hmm. that consumers think of reviewing. <laughs> but the problem is, is that consumers still expect the same type of information and the same quantity of reviews and content and reviews to make a decision when choosing legal help. Gotcha. So hopefully we're going to add three tips today for listeners to use for their law firms to help earn more reviews, to help drive more information for prospective clients. Well, go ahead and do that. What's number one? Number one is do a good job, <laughs> which sounds fundamental, but uh, certainly it, it's not to be underestimated. If you deliver high quality client service, it naturally engenders the opportunity for them to leave a review and to say nice things about you, right? Mm -hmm. Shock them with value, take great care of them, follow up uh, before they expect you to follow up. Those types of functions tend to, uh, again, make them much more favorable to leave you a, a positive review. And then the outcome of the matter obviously assists as well. I mean, that makes perfect sense for me. It would make somebody more likely to be willing to leave a review. But in my experience, people need kind of a nudge. So what's your number two tip? You nailed it. Yeah. So it's about eliminating barriers. So we find that the timing is really the most important piece here. So if you're a PI firm, perfect example. Our customers will bring in one of their clients to the office uh, to print out their settlement check. And in that moment, they'll sit them down in the conference room, tell them, thanks so much for working with us. We appreciate you. If you don't mind, I'm going to go print your settlement check real quick. And we just sent you a, a link that you can leave us a review on. That client is left with nothing better to do than to look at their phone anyway. And so when they pull it out and they see a link there for them to go leave a review for that firm, and especially if the firm asks, they're then able to go leave that experience while their memory is fresh, while they've got nothing better to do. And in a way that, again, allows them to share all the ins and outs of their experiences with other prospective clients. I think that previews tip number three, which is how to invite someone to leave a review, right? Yeah, totally. And it's a text message is hands down world-class way of literally a text message with a link in it. You nailed it. Yep. Yeah. Content within the text. We tend to brand that with the logo of the firm so they know who it's from. Send it from a 10 digit number, not a personal cell phone obviously helps. And then giving instructions within that text message is helpful also. In that link, it's ideal to have the websites that matter most. And we can discuss that if we'd like. But again, a text message has a 99% open rate, 90% of which are open within three minutes. Yeah, I don't know anybody who leaves text messages sitting on red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I speak at uh, in a couple different conferences a year, and, and we always play a game of how many unread personal emails do you have and mm. see who has the most. And we obviously have many that are in the hundreds, if not thousands, of their personal email addresses. And then we ask, how many unread text messages do you have? And rarely is it over three. Mm -hmm. So yeah, your, your point's well made. So if we can capture that review via text message, right when their memory's fresh and right when they're excited about getting their check. And when they have nothing better to do. Exactly. Yeah. It's the perfect formula for capturing that review. Now, again, sending that through an any old text number where, you know, if they text back offering a referral or asking for additional services, you want to make sure that, that number is two-way textable. So you can capture that information post-review invite if needed, because we, we actually built our system years ago without that capability. And we realized there were 20,000 referrals sitting in the cloud for prospective <laughs> clients that was a big whoop. So good to figure that one out. Yep. Make sure it's two-way textable, which we now are fortunately. So now that we know how to do it, what are the sites that we should actually be sending people for referrals on? Yeah, there's a lot of sites out there that people will recommend. Look at a lot of these micro sites, uh, some of the sites that you don't hear about as often as like a cul-de-sac, if you were mm -hmm. thinking in billboard terms of exposure. Google is like a 60 lane double superhighway right. um, when it comes to traffic. So Google is by far number one. It's the phone book nowadays. It's where everyone goes. Facebook's a far second, but certainly relevant still, especially with certain demographics, depending on your practice area. 
Avo is still relevant. They've been around forever, but still continue to be a third place in our data uh, for where people are leaving reviews for law firms and doing research as well. And then a fourth that may sneak under the radar is Better Business Bureau. Mm. It's a place where people perpetually complain, but it's relevant to make sure you're responding to reviews and soliciting good ones there as well. Very cool. Well, listeners, if you'd like to learn more about best practices for getting reviews or working with Podium, you can visit podium.com slash lawyerist. And you can also find that link in the show notes. Joe, thanks so much for being with us today. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Sam. I'm Adriana Linares. I'm a legal technology trainer and consultant. I am based in Orlando. Actually, what I like to say is I pay my taxes in Florida. (laughs) (laughs) I spend as much time as I can in my favorite city, New Orleans, and I go to San Diego one week out of every month to work as the member technology officer of the San Diego County Bar Association. But other than that, I've got a little private practice doing technology consulting for lawyers and law firms. Well, Adriana, I'm so glad to have you back. You were last on episode 50, which turns out to have been about three and a half years ago. So crazy how time (laughs) flies. Are you serious? It is. We had Allison Shields back, I think exactly 200 episodes after her first appearance. I think you're going to be about four or five episodes ahead of 200 episodes (sighs) past, unfortunately, but maybe we can move things around to make this a thing that we do. (laughs) (laughs) So last time we talked, we kind of did a tech savvy 101 or maybe a remedial tech for lawyers podcast where we kind of ranted a bit because you see so many lawyers through your training, through your work with the bar. And we talked a bit about things you wish lawyers already knew or things that lawyers already mm. should know. I don't remember everything we talked about in that podcast. I'm sure you don't. But I am curious, like, is there a thing today that you still regularly see where you just like, God, how do lawyers not know how to do this? <laughs> well, I hate to say this, but unfortunately, not a lot of that stuff has changed. And I was just on the phone with a lawyer today. Oh, I know. I'll give you a really fast example. And okay. this is a sole practitioner. She's based in Southern California. And when I said to her, I was helping her set up Clio and I was telling her she could either use the Clio document management system or she could connect it to her OneDrive. And then I said, what do your OneDrive files look like? And she said, I don't know. And I said, well, show me, mm-hmm. you know, I expect her to just click on file explorer and show me OneDrive and then click to open the files. She went to Word. Mm. She says, this is the only way I know how to get there. So she went to Word, clicked file, open, and showed me her OneDrive file. Uh, I've seen, like, I, I remember yeah. that. I remember lawyers doing all yeah. of their file management from the open dialogue in Word, yeah. and it drove me nuts. Okay. So here I am 20 years later in this business, and I still get a lawyer that does something like that. Now, of course, you know, there are obviously very tech savvy lawyers and especially those that have embraced technology. But I mean, that's a totally average day for me. Mm-hmm. Now, yesterday I had a call with an attorney who I set up his net documents and he's so good. He's actually administering and doing all the back end of his own net documents. And that's very unusual. So I kind of run this gamut, but I would say that, you know, the things that I typically still see is lack of automation, lack of consistency across devices, which a lot of people will have multiple Mm -hmm. devices these days, and also just being in a rut at how they're doing things. So not really taking the time to stop and say, well, you know, it takes me a really long time to do this. I should figure out if there's a more efficient way. I do remember that tip from last time you were, you were like, look, if you find yourself thinking there has to be a better way to do this, 
there probably is. And you should stop and pause and take the time to figure it out. Exactly. Like this lady today, she was so sweet. She was great. She's been paying for Clio for a year Mm. and it literally had never clicked on the settings icon to even start setting it up. And I'm thinking, how can you, I'm as busy as anybody else, but how do you not find an hour to call them and get help? And so yes, finding the time really Seriously, finding the time to be more efficient, I just think is critical. I meant to ask you more about other things, but I'm off on a tangent already. We'll come back. That happens too, <laughs> and I thank God we're not drinking right now. Do you, do you think that like, I mean, I grew up with technology being hard and we're not too far apart, I think, but like, you know, setting a VCR was a joke and everyone's just blinked 12 all the time because yes. nobody actually knew how to set the clock on their VCR. Like I remember our camcorder had a million buttons and eventually I figured out it out well enough to film me and my friends skateboarding, but like we have very few home videos because it was so hard. I think there was like a whole generation for whom technology was really hard and mm-hmm. it broke every time you touched it. And so we became afraid to touch it. And so why would you click the settings button? You might break something. Right. I think that's actually a fairly prevalent attitude, at least among lawyers and people of a certain age and maybe even others. I don't know, but I think it might be a generational thing. Yeah. But, you know, I can give you one example where that holds true in legal mm-hmm. today as much as it did 20 years ago. And that's in voice to text. Mm. So, you know, dragons scarred everybody 20 <laughs> years ago because it came out and ev- or 25 years ago, however old it is. Every lawyer ran out and bought it. And then, you know, as soon as they learned that they had to spend two or three hours training it, it all went, you know, down right. the pot. So, no lawyer has ever tried it again. And of course I say that very broadly, but we know we have (laughs) listeners that have, and you guys have figured it out and that's great, but most lawyers never went back again. But then they've also not adopted using voice to text on their iPhones, their Androids. It's built into Macs. It's great on a Mac. It's built into PCs and they don't try that either. You know, they might see a little button in the latest version of Outlook that says read to me or talk to me, but they won't click on it. Right. So same problem still exists. And then they call me and they say, should I get Dragon? I'll say, sure, spend the money. Or you could just tell any robot that's in front of you to record and turn into text. (laughs) And it will. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I see that all the time. So let me back up, though. So you when you're working at the bar, it sounds like you end up getting triage calls from lawyers (laughs) who are panicking about technology. But you also do trainings, right, where you actually Uh like sit down with lawyers and teach them how to use things. Yes. It's fun. Is that, is it? Yes. <laughs> I know. I think you actually enjoy that. I do. It's yeah. very rewarding and they're always so grateful and so nice. I seriously feel like I changed lives, but I'm um, probably had a follow-up to that. No, I, I just wanted to make sure we'd covered like the things that you actually do day to day. And sure. I know that you do training and you are one of the most patient and generous and kind people about it, which is impossible for me to do. I get, I'm just, I'm like the guy in uh, Saturday Night Live. I'm just like, move. get out of my way and I'll do it. You don't do that. You actually take the time to patiently walk lawyers through how to do things, which they don't get at CLEs. Um, They don't get from podcasts. They actually, a lot of people just need somebody to stand over them and hold their hand. Yeah, I do a lot of that in a lot of different and weird programs and places. And I do enjoy it. You also help firms implement though, right? Like you actually come in and help set up systems. and. Yeah, I feel like mostly... My, the past 10 years, maybe the past eight years, more than anything, it's been helping firms move their critical business services from on-prem to cloud-based services. And, you know, how do you replace Abacus or On-prem meet- meaning we have a server or it's on my yeah. computer. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah. And I feel like it's just easier than ever to do those things, even when you're a firm of, you know, up to 2530. So since you brought that up, moving to the cloud has to be on every, if you aren't already in the cloud, it has to be on your radar because the software you use, it's days are numbered. Like maybe not yeah. next week, maybe not next year, but like you're not going to make Abacus work in probably five years. It's just not going to be the thing that you want to be on for your law firm. Right. But I was just, we just this last week at LabCon or two weeks ago, whatever it was, I was talking to one of the lawyers there who they're very tech savvy. They're very tech forward. And because of that, they have years into, I don't know if it's Abacus or Amicus or PC Law or Time Matters or whatever, but they have this. And he's just trying to get his head around like, moving. you know, how should I be thinking about moving? And you said right. easy, but yeah. it doesn't sound easy when you're on that end of it, I don't think. So like, how do you start thinking about making that transition? Well, first of all, whatever it is they are using, chances are they aren't using 100% of it. Right. So that's the first thing, you know, okay, well, what components of PC law are you using? And then it's breaking it down. And, you know, I was just talking to somebody about this not that long ago. We, this phenomenon happened to practice management programs where everything was all in one. Mm -hmm. And then companies came along and started sort of pulling that all in one model apart. And I don't know that it's ever going to actually go back. Right. So, so now I say, okay, well, if that it's what you were using over there in your old system, which I call the Fred Flintstone versus the Jetson models. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, Fred Flintstone was very innovative and he had built a great product and, but, and he built it all inside this box and you were kind of trapped inside of it. George Jetson came along. He's like, I'm going to do that one component better than you do. And then somebody else said, oh, well, if you're going to do that piece then we're going to build this piece. So it's sort of breaking apart those components and then putting them back together with programs and services that are compatible and will still give you all of the same services and then some that you were using in that older outdated right. model. So you kind of have to figure out like what's the data that we need it to hold and what are the things we need it to do that we can't live without. Yeah. And they're and all the same. Figure out how to assemble that framework and move all of your data from one to the next. Right. Yeah. Honestly, the conversations are typically the same. Yes, we do time and billing. Yes, we manage documents. Yes, I can never find the updated phone number because it's <laughs> in 15 different places. Or 20 years ago, we started putting phone numbers in the fax field. And, you know, it, so it's an, also an opportunity when we're doing that to break bad habits, create new habits. And I think we're much more, and I, by we, I mean, all of us in the legal community, but specifically the lawyers that come to me for help, they're much more conscious of how important it is to organize their data as we're making that move, because mm -hmm. now they've been using something for a really long time and they realize, well, that wasn't the right way to do it, which when you're sort of in the throes of building a practice or you know, really stuck in some old program, you're just doing it the way you always did it. So it's really always a good opportunity to sort of do a reset. I guess the other thing is I think lawyers assume that we need to replicate everything in whatever new system we're getting. Right. Um, like we can't afford to lose a single byte of data. <laughs> it feels to me like the answer to that is no, you need to decide what you need to save and don't assume that you have to keep everything and then move on. Well, you're right. And a huge issue for law firms is their addiction to data mm -hmm. that they no longer need. And, and one that they're not doing anything with anyway. Right. And they don't have a business case for it. Mm -hmm. So in, in the world of privacy and security and, and data protection, you know, one of the principles is don't keep what you don't need, but we're famous for that. And by we, again, I mean the community because I'm not a lawyer, but you know, I'm, I'm part of this. <laughs> you're part of this. <laughs> part of the problem. You're, you're so neck I'm deep the in solution. this. But 
Nowadays, with ransomware attacks, with disasters and, you know, just everything that can go wrong with data, but specifically with security breaches, how embarrassing would it be for you to have to send out a breach notification letter to a human whose information you have because some guy who founded the law firm 25 years ago Mm -hmm. worked on one matter for them and you had some of their PII, right? So it's a really good opportunity to flush that data out. I mean, Mm -hmm. keep your forms, keep your IP, but let the data go. So I'm glad we started with this conversation because I think it's actually something a lot of firms are wrestling with. But we got to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors, and then we can keep talking about Tech Savviness 102. We'll talk about Dropbox and document management, automation, outsourcing, text expander, password managers, and all kinds of stuff. So we'll be right back. Drip, drip. Drip, hear that? It's your office's online reviews. Kind of slow, huh? Not exactly the gush of praise you're hoping for when you set up your account on that review site. But why? After all, your best clients love you. They say it all the time, just not online. And that's too bad. Because your word may be your bond, but your client's words, well, they're your best sales tool. And these days, a star rating can make the difference between very interested and running for the hills. Podium knows how important reviews are to your law office. That's why they built a great online review platform, making it simpler than ever to get a five-star rating you know you deserve. Businesses see an average 6% increase in revenue from reviews thanks to Podium. More than just a friendly reminder, Podium sends clients straight to the review sites you care about most with built-in analytics to monitor your progress towards meeting your next goal. So you could keep waiting for reviews to drip in, or you could open the floodgates with Podium. Just visit podium.com slash lawyerist to save 10% when you sign up. That's podium.com slash lawyerist to get started and save 10%. Podium, become the number one law office online. Unlock your productivity with Text Expander. Easily insert text snippets in any application from a library of content created by you and your team while reducing errors. You can save so much time, it's like getting an extra employee. Text Expander is available for Mac, Windows, iPhone, and iPad, and Chrome. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast to learn more about TextExpander. There's more to answering a phone call than just pronouncing your name correctly. And I think that's what sets Ruby apart from all the other receptionist services out there. I've been lucky enough to meet a lot of people who work at Ruby, and from top to bottom, it's full of the kind of people you'd love to spend time with. I guess it's something in the coffee they serve. And after all, when someone calls your firm, that means they are going to be spending time with your receptionist. You may think you get to make a first impression when you pick up the phone, but that's not how it works. Maybe your receptionist is just on the call for a minute or two, but that's all it takes to form a first impression. So it's a good idea to make sure your receptionist is the kind of person you'd want your callers to spend time with. It could be the difference between a big case and a big fail. Don't worry, Ruby can handle pronouncing your name right. They'll also help you make a great first impression. And now Ruby can even help you connect with clients right on your website with 24-7 live online chat. You can find out more about Ruby receptionists and how to make a great first impression at callruby.com slash lawyeristpod. Okay, we're back. So Adriana, we started out talking about transitioning to the cloud. I think last time, one of the things we talked about was how important it is to get your documents into the cloud, which is a little bit different than moving your entire firm's back end or your technology systems. But when and why should a lawyer or a firm start thinking about getting out of Dropbox and into some more advanced document management? Well, I think when you look at your document situation, And it looks like the wild, wild west of document management. There's Mm -hmm. folders that you don't recognize the name or the purpose (laughs) of when there are files just strewn about and there's no order. 
is when you really want to think about a sophisticated document management system that forces compliance. And that's not a word we like in legal, but you have to have it. If you're, and this is what you and I talked about last time, which is, hey, if you're a solo and you know where everything's going and you know where you're naming things, fine. If you bring on a secretary, they're probably going to, you know, just glom onto whatever system you were using. But as soon as you become three or four people, and if you don't have a way to organize those files, and especially now emails. So of course, email management is probably at the bane of every lawyer's existence. Mm-hmm. And you really want to be able to put those emails in the same places that the rest of the file is being kept. And that becomes harder with Dropbox because you can't drag and drop. I mean, you can certainly drag and drop an Outlook email into a Dropbox folder. You can make it work, but you can't enforce it. Yeah. And two, sometimes based on how your configuration is, it will in- encrypt those emails that you've dragged into a public folder and mm-hmm. no one else will. Open. So there's a lot of reasons to really think about when it's time to put something a little more sophisticated in. And then do you want to talk products? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Like where should where should a lawyer yeah. start when their firm has grown to say three people and they're realizing that things aren't uniform? So I rarely say this about software and services, but this is one place where I will definitely say there is only one game in town. What is it? And it's net documents. Okay. And that's it. And net documents will cost you somewhere around 60 to $70 a month per user. Okay. That's one of those things where I wonder like how that number hits people. Like I hear that and right. I'm like, oh, big deal. We're exactly. paying that for like seven different things. <laughs> yeah. So it's true. It's true. Well, NetDocs is really a lot of bang for its buck. It was originally sort of designed and built for large law firms. So it's used by mega firms and it's so scalable and affordable that I put it in solo offices and two person, three person offices all the time. So it integrates with Office 365. It's a little better on a PC than it is on a Mac, but it mm-hmm. works on both. And it's just really my favorite product to install. And it's usually where I start. So, mm-hmm. you know, somebody will call me and they'll say, you know, I need practice management. I'll go, okay, that's easy. You've got like six things to choose from in that category. But document management, there's only one. And it's just a critical, critical business tool. And it's better than Office 365. You wouldn't do your document management in Office 365? No effing way. And here's <laughs> Okay, say more. So OneDrive is hard in an office environment because one person has to own the sort of shared OneDrive folder. Right. And then if that person either leaves, or it just, it becomes kind of a nightmare. And it doesn't work well if you're a Clio user. That system of synchronizing OneDrive and Clio, using it as your source doesn't work that great. On top of that, SharePoint, which is really good Mm -hmm. for a lot of things, is not a great document management system. You Mm -hmm. can't, you just can't manage documents very well. So you can put documents in it to share them, but it's not really a file explorer. It's not a file manager. It's not. It's awful. And, you know, good luck getting stuff out of there. Mm -hmm. So, and it works great. Like if you're using Microsoft Teams, then, you know, your files go into SharePoint, but at least they're organized through your collaboration system. So I guess there's a bit of a technology cocktail there where Mm -hmm. you just figure out what is the best way to do this one component of your practice. And when it comes to document management, which I am a huge snob about, 
I just think NetDocs is the only game in town. Gotcha. And it's very affordable. So talk about document automation, basic automation. Okay. Like this is something I see a lot too. Lots of lawyers have Clio or MyCase or, okay. or Practice Panther. And all of those have some basic document automation built in and almost nobody's using it. Is, that where, is that where people should be starting it? Or how should they get started? We, I mean, we've had Baron Henley on and we've talked in detail about document oh, automation. No. For, but, but that's at Baron's level, which is some right. next level stuff. So like, what's the basic stuff? I love Baron. He's a total baby. <laughs> in every way like he's my word babe he's just a babe but he I can't he's above my pay grade you know I can, that guy is amazing but just automating an engagement letter uh, your basic pleading your basic correspondence is a great way to start and it's very easy the, you're right all the practice management programs that you just rattled off have really nice and easy I mean I just did a little tiny workshop for two lawyers in, at the San Diego County Bar so at the San Diego County Bar, I do what I do in my private practice, but it's a service to their members. So the bar pays me. So it's basically what I do all the time. But I had these two lawyers who had been using Clio and didn't know about document automation. I had them both come in and we sat there and in about 12 to 15 minutes learned how to pull up their documents in Word. One was on a Mac, by the way, and one was on a PC and how to copy and paste the little field codes from Clio, including their custom field codes. Mm -hmm. So I think that's like an important thing that we just want to say out loud and, and tell your listeners that if you have custom fields like a, a case number, a probation officer name, the county that the accident was in. If you want that information you in your practice, in you can put it in there and then you can easily move all that into a Word document. I think almost all of them have some kind of a custom they fields do. option now. They do. And they all have basic automation. And we should also describe basic automation versus what I call mm -hmm. intelligent automation, well, which is... I was going to get there eventually because oh, okay. like most lawyers, they start thinking about document automation and they're like, yes, I can automate my estate plans and I can automate my, you know, my real estate closings and what, and mm -hmm. like... Whoa, whoa, cowboy, slow down. <laughs> <laughs> You're probably not going to get there with your basic practice management program. Right. And you should probably start with some easy stuff. Yeah. And that's where Baron's, you know, awesomeness can come in. But just basic stuff that you do all day long can be very easily automated. What I would love to see is, let's say, can we use Lexicata and Clio sure. as a yeah, an example? Away. Those are my favorites and the, the just the ones I'm most familiar with. But I always like to be very fair and say they have Clio has great competitors. Whatever you're using, just use it well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in a perfect world, you would have an intake form on your website built by Lexicata or Grow now. And then a client would actually input the information themselves, which reduces errors and they get it right. They know their birthday. They know how to spell their weird last names. Um, and then from there, it moves into Grow. And mm -hmm. then so that's their client relationship manager. And in there, you can nurture that lead and say, okay, well, here, a lead came in. Oh, and then you send them the form. They fill out the form, and then you can do a conflict check. So before you actually sign them, they sit inside of the CRM, and you gather as much data as you want there from them. Then you move it into Clio. Clio Manage, that is. Yeah. Yes. Clio Manage. <laughs> oh, gosh. And then... Um, <laughs> Makes my head spin too. Uh -huh. And then from there, if your documents, your basic set of documents are in there, all the information that your client input before they were even an official client is easy to spit out those initial set of documents or your basic set of documents. And the trick is, is like, as long as you've done those basic templates and put those in your software, mm -hmm. then you can start doing neat stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, just think about how awesome that is for a lawyer to be able to, that workflow to happen 
so smoothly without them. They haven't done anything at this point, you know, a few clicks Mm -hmm. or a secretary or whoever your paralegal is. So I think there's definitely document assembly nirvana you can get to, but hey, man, there's eight <laughs> steps to the path. We'll send down- you to Baron's Dojo when you're ready for <laughs> document assembly exactly. nirvana. There, you know, you start at step one on the path and at the end of the path is Baron. Yep, totally. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe by the time you've done some of the basic stuff, you'll be ready to go back and listen to my podcast with Baron where he gets pretty nerdy about it. But um, Yeah, and I loved it. I thought that was a yeah. great I mean, it's so compelling, but the truth is it's really over most lawyers' heads. So start somewhere basic. Well, and if you, you know, like a lot of lawyers, they start hearing about document assembly and automation and it's like, oh, you can't replace my knowledge. Like all I want to do is send out your retainer letter. You know? Yeah, we're not trying to replace your knowledge. We're actually trying but to- you don't like doing the- either, just to be fair. Right. We're not um, trying to replace your knowledge. We're just trying to get you to the point where you can actually start using it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> when we were prepping for this episode, you mentioned outsourcing as something that you think uh, is sort of like the start of the next level of tech savvy. What do you mean? Yeah. Say so- more. I'm going to use outsourcing in a totally different way than everybody else. I'm not talking about hiring a group of lawyers in India to help you do your research and your document review. I'm talking at a much more basic small business level, make my life easier. I've become a huge fan of delivery services and simple services just to take off a lot of administrative needs. And I'll just very quickly, things like uh, I have a shipped S H I P T yearly subscription that delivers groceries to me Hmm. and it's nationwide. So whether I'm in San Diego for my week or in New Orleans, why would I go to the grocery store? And I know this isn't everybody, but a lot of solos and small firms today, we're working from home and we like Mm -hmm. working from home. And then thinking about having groceries or your prescriptions delivered or your (laughs) shipped delivers from ABC liquors these days and Costco. Um, of course, Amazon is great and that's fine, but I also use fancy hands, which is a, they do light administrative work. So if I have, if I've gone to a conference and I just want a bunch of business cards scanned and then put into an Excel spreadsheet, I use fancy hands. I also use Upwork a lot. So I have this, I found this one really bright, Upwork contractor who she's gotten to know my needs because they're kind of the same. And I have her do a lot of data entry. And what's Hmm. crazy about it is she charges $3 an hour and, and I can't pay her $3 an hour. I always pay her five because I think, Oh my God, you know, (laughs) I think a lot of the administrative stuff that we get caught up in as small business owners can really be alleviated by taking advantage of some of those services. I recently had a lawyer tell me about an accounting company. Oh gosh, I wish I could remember the name of it. She's paying $150 a month to this bookkeeping and accounting service Hmm. that they, you know, obviously after all the right contracts and agreements, they have access to her billing. She's a Clio user, exports to QuickBooks and has everything done by them. And when they have a question about something, they just text her. You know, not sure how to categorize this. Not sure. And she said it has been, this is a very, very busy lawyer with a very busy practice and a baby and two offices in South Florida. And those little things, she said it's just been an absolute life changer for her. So I mean, finding anyone who's willing to text me instead of insisting on phone calls is like my nirvana. Like, right, right. Yeah. And so I guess what I want to encourage people to do is look around for those services and take advantage of them because they will really alleviate that little bit of time. You know, it does, it adds up to maybe a couple of hours a day, 
but it's a couple hours a day that you don't really have and you'd probably rather spend with your family. So I'm mm -hmm. a big fan of those types of services. I like uh, that just, advice too, because those are easier things to outsource. You know, everybody wants yeah. to start with the big hard stuff, just like document automation. And the big hard stuff is hard to outsource, whereas your groceries and deliveries and accounting and bookkeeping and stuff, those are relatively easy to outsource. So Right. And they cost you very little. So mm -hmm. the ROI on those things and then you become addicted. I mean, I don't even, <laughs> I scheduled the mobile dog groomer to come to my house now. Cause why would I <laughs> take an hour out of my day to drive the damn dog to get his haircut when I can get on next door, ask for some, a couple of recommendations and boom, two hours later, there's a van like outside that. my house. <laughs> I, there's a, there's somebody who does dog poop pickup locally. And I really want to do that. Except first I need to find the one that will come and mow my lawn right after the dog boot. <laughs> and then I can get the whole thing sorted. But. Exactly. So, I mean, I know it's not necessarily practice management, but I feel that when we're small business owners, life and practice management become one and one suffers when the other one isn't somehow being, you know, cared for in a way that is easy. So we, we had a bunch of other things we were going to talk about. We were going to talk about using text expander, using a password manager, how to quickly set up new computers all of those are good things, but I think what we should try to address in the next 15-ish minutes is how to get more out of Office 365, which oh, yeah. I think almost every lawyer is using now. Like I know there are some lawyers who have chosen to just use Google Suite, and that's great and all, but I think most lawyers should and are using Office 365. And so one of the things I keep noticing is lawyers who are using Office 365 and G Suite or and mm -hmm. Slack or and sure. Trello, but all of those services have their analogs in Office 365 and people just don't seem to know it. So like, what are some of the things that people already get if they have Office 365 that they may not know they can just take advantage of and stop paying for other services? Yes, I think this is critical. And, you know, th I think part of the problem why we haven't done that or been hesitant is that Microsoft has given us a lot over mm -hmm. the past few years, and it's been hard to even keep up with oh, all I the can't services. Keep track of it all. I have no I, idea. Yeah, I mean, if you click that little Rubik's Cube-looking thing in your account and you see all the stuff they offer, it's hard to figure mm -hmm. it all out. But I will say this. I don't think there's anything wrong with having both G Suite and Office 365 and just figuring if it works for you. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be an advantage and a disadvantage, blah, blah, blah. But personally, I am one of those people. I use G Suite for the back end of my email, I guess, because I got into Gmail a long time ago mm -hmm. and and it, I'm just there. And I, I like Gmail's search capabilities. But I tried the other day. I don't know how, why I had never thought to do this, but I, I have several Gmail accounts and one of them I wanted to just sort by some gov tech email that I get. I just wanted to sort by the sender. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time I realized I was like, oh, you know, Gmail doesn't let you do that. <laughs> you, you can't sort by sender, which... Yes, I could go to the search bar and just put that in. But honestly, I kind of wanted to sort by sender so I could sit there and do a review of all the things I've right. subscribed to and just delete. Also in Gmail, things like sharing a contact. I still don't know how to do that in Gmail. <laughs> you know, somebody says, Adriana, can you send me Sam Glover's contact card? I think I figured it out at one point, but yeah, not sure. You know, I can't just reply and then go attach the card. So that service has its benefits. And it's only, I think I pay, what, maybe $6 a month for my seats and Office 365 should really only cost you 8 to $12 a month if you're a small business. And then you get the full-blown Outlook, if you like Outlook, which I do for a lot of information management reasons. But I am also very ambidextrous, and I switch between Gmail and Outlook all day right. long, depending on what I need to do. But if you are an Office 365 user, all of those apps, whether you're in Word or in Outlook, you should see 
a button in there called store. And that's this is only going to apply if you are also getting your emails through Office 365. So that's a huge catch. I'm going to give you this great tip, but if you are a buy platform user like I am, mm -hmm. it doesn't apply. But great example, in Outlook, if you hit that little shopping bag button, add-ins or store in Outlook, it brings up a list of all these add-ins. And one of my favorites that's free, that's part of that, is called Find Time. And it's Doodle, oh, right. but baked into Outlook. So once you install that, you have, let's say you and I were going back and forth, when can we have this podcast and we want to include three other people? I reply to the email that has all of us already in that email and I click find time. It looks at my calendar. It lets me select the times that I want to suggest. I mean, it's, and then it goes out, it does a consensus and then, you know, it, it helps. So there's a lot of great built in services and add-ons in Office 365 that I think we don't realize are there. So I encourage everybody to just click on that button and look around. It's pretty impressive. What are some of the, so like, I know that I think Teams started out as like a Slack work chat competitor, yes. right? And now it's evolved into something more. Yeah, exactly. Right. I don't actually know what it does right now. Like what would it do for somebody if they adopted it? It's their answer to Slack. Mm -hmm. So I think Microsoft looked around and they were like, wow, we've got a lot of people adopting Office 365, but they're also using Slack. Well, we already have all the components that Slack has. Why don't we bundle it into a product called Teams. And it's great. And it's built right in. And you're already paying for it if you're paying for Office 360. Right. So why not just try it? Why not just try it? There's a couple project management options too, aren't there? There's ton. It's just crazy. There's business intelligence, um, add-ons. There's, there's all kinds of stuff in there. What's their Trello um, analog? Oh, you know what? I don't know. It's not project. It's something else. But they had it. It like... wouldn't be project because that is so complex. I could probably look. But I'll say this. I love Trello. Yeah. And let me tell you why I happen to love Trello. Planner which... is their Trello alternative. Oh, really? Really, I'm, I'm going to try it. They also have a <laughs> bookings add-on. So if you take bookings on your mm -hmm. website stuff, you can actually use these add-ons. So I really encourage people to, to look at your Office 365 services. And the thing about that is Google too. I mean, Google has a whole marketplace. And For has sure. But I, but Office 365 actually just has a shit ton of stuff built in. It does. It's, <laughs> like amazing. it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, one of the reasons I really like Trello is because I have all these, what I call inlets of information. So, you know, I work for the San Diego County Bar. I've got my little private practice and then, then I've got my private life. And I really wanted one place to sort of funnel all of those things, but mm -hmm. still be able to sort them. And I, I've been able to really do something like that with Trello. So I'm a big fan. That's a good point. That's kind of a nice reason to have a third system is that yeah. you can feed everything from outside of it into it. And it's amazing for that. It's, you know, each board has an email address and I, and, and also Zapier is mm -hmm. godsend. I don't know how anybody lives without Zapier, which <laughs> that's one of those things that I would probably put that in a, what do we have after 102? Yeah. Do we go to 200? I mean, I think it's interesting because like Zapier is great and we rely on it for pushing data around too, you know, between WordPress and HubSpot and things like that. Yeah. But I've also, I, I know of one firm in particular that shall remain nameless that has like dozens of zaps. And that's the point at which I think they're actually using it too much where like, right you're at the point where you should probably be building your own solutions at this point instead of trying to rely on Zapier. So I think it's like, it's definitely probably like a 102.5 or, a, you know, yeah. tech savvy 103, but it's also, it's not 105. <laughs> no, 105 I, is I build your own. 
it really answers a lot of questions or, you know, provides solutions that, that lawyers mm -hmm. have and don't realize there's a way to move data between the two. Simple example, whether I'm in Gmail or I'm in Outlook, if I star it in Gmail or flag it in Outlook, it creates a to-do on my Trello. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's those little things. And again, I'm not trying to be the baron of, of tasks and automation. I'm just down here as the average user, just trying to not do simple things all day long and figure out how to automate it. And I think that's one of those services that does that. I think I'll close with one of my tips because what you just said reminded me of something. And I, I gave this to some people at LabCon. It might be really useful for others. I'm sort of the problem solver at Lawyerist, right? I, I'm the one who's neck deep in all of our systems. If something breaks, I'm the one who fixes it. But anyone, whether, whether it's a technology problem solver or any kind of thing, if you are the kind of person where lots of other people are coming to you with demands and requests all the time, Mm -hmm. that can be insanely difficult to deal with and really stressful. And so one of the things that I've done is I have a board, we use teamwork, but I have a board where I have an inbox and all of those demands and questions get dropped in the inbox. And I do it in a few different ways. Like in Slack, if I star a message, it automatically creates a new task in my inbox. Excellent. Some people can just go directly drop things in my inbox, whatever. But essentially all requests that aren't like something is on fire go in the inbox. And then once a week or every other week, I sit down and I go through that entire inbox and I prioritize it. And I actually take the time to put time estimates on everything. Hmm. And I look at my calendar and I decide how much time I have over the next two weeks. And then I populate my backlog of work for the next two weeks based on how much time I have and how much time I think those things will take. And I do that with Aaron, because if you aren't the boss, you should do this with people who are the boss so that they can see that you have a limited amount of time and they can help you prioritize. Like, okay, given I have 75 hours of stuff and I have 35 hours to work <laughs> this week, which things do you want me to get done? And I've found that the combination of like, nobody should expect me to do something now unless it's truly an emergency. And then the process of actually sitting down and prioritizing based on time is sanity causing. It's wonderful. Yeah. And it has almost nothing to do with anything else we've discussed, except that you can use lots of tricks to enforce that inbox. And it's a really nice and effective way to work and bring sanity back. Well, and I'll, I'll just add on by saying that when you have that system that helps you prioritize, because what most of us do is take the paid work first. Mm -hmm. So right. we prioritize clients and you know, things that's going to make us money. And then, like you said, if it's not an emergency, when am I ever going to get to it? So taking the time to organize and prioritize and then talk to your team members about how you or they should be prioritizing time is just critical. Mm -hmm. It's just, I mean, we've waste so much time every day. I really try to reduce waste. Adriana, we're almost out of time. Do you have one, like one last tip that you just want to get out? Yeah. And I, I said it earlier, but I think it's always good to remind people, whatever you're using, use it well. Take mm -hmm. the time to just completely become an expert. And I say this to lawyers all the time. In most programs and services and tools, once you know how to do 10 to 12 things, you know how to do everything. Mm. Just figure out what those 10 to 12 things are, become an expert on them, and you will fly through all those programs and you'll just be more efficient. And that might give you more time to figure out how to tackle some of these other projects and needs that we've talked about. Very cool. Adriana, thank you so much. How about in about three and a half years, we do it again? Sounds great. We can hit that 102.5. <laughs> That'll be perfect. Awesome. Are you interested in implementing the ideas you've heard on today's podcast into your law firm? Could you use a little help? 
Hey guys, it's Stephanie, the VP of Community Success here at Lawyers, and I'd love to help you tackle your business or take it to the next level. Head over to go.lawyerist.com backslash start to sign up for a quick call with me, and let's talk about how Lawyerist can help you create your best law firm. Make sure to catch next week's episode of The Lawyerist Podcast by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast app. And please leave a rating to help other people find our show. You can find the notes for today's episode on lawyerist.com slash podcast. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced with help from Lindsay Calhoun and edited by Paul Fisher. The views expressed by the participants are their own and are not endorsed by Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you. Mm-hmm.